0: Work, workforce, and workplace norms are shaped as much by popularized portrayals as they are by our lived experiences. From sensational headlines, like The Great Resignation, to successful series, like The Office and Silicon Valley, to skits and stories shared on our social media feeds, what we see shapes what we believe. Let's go behind the scenes to discover what's new now and next in the world of work and we'll challenge the traditions of what it means to live well and to work well. This is Success From Anywhere.
1: Today on Success From Anywhere, we'll meet the entrepreneur, gardener, and painter who sees the future as a blank canvas on which to create Insatiable curiosity is his preferred medium to make each day a masterpiece. Please join me in welcoming to the show, Jake Miller, founder and CEO of the Engineered Innovation Group.
0: Hi, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk with you today, Karen.
1: Because we talk a lot about work on the show, one question I like to ask every guest is, what was your first paying job and how did that job inform or inspire your career trajectory?
0: Love this question. (laughs) So... You know, most I feel like most founders have the Lemonade Stand story, but mine has a little bit of a twist, no pun intended, on it. So I started a Lemonade Stand in my neighborhood. We had lots of neighborhood kids. But I decided I didn't want to work it. I wanted to lease it out. So I leased it to my neighborhood buddy. I took 20% of his profits. And also charge tax. Funny enough, I can't believe I'm telling anyone this. But I also was a clown for birthday parties when I was 14. Wow! um, Making, I think I I think I was usually it was about $400 a party. I did a handful of them. Oh, that's good money. Yeah. So entertainment's sort of uh, been something I've, <laughs> I've loved. But then my first real job was actually McDonald's.
1: Nice. What I appreciate is that you had someone to run the lemonade stand while you were being a clown. So those are very profitable <laughs> weekends. Place. What is it that inspired you to step into the world of entrepreneurship? I mean, you've been at a number of large organizations. What was the inspiration for becoming your own entrepreneur? And then tell us about the business that you've created.
0: Yeah, so I've always been a very creative person in really all aspects. Like you mentioned, I'm I'm a I'm a painter as well. In all of my free time these days, you know, I see so much opportunity out in the world. I have my whole life. I mean, I even remember being in third grade thinking about inventions and ways to like change the world. The way that we had a classmate that had a disability, and so I created a page turner mechanic machine. Part of the way I was built to think was just how do you help people around you in in new and different ways. And while that invention never got a patent or went to market or was commercialized, it was a pattern in my life of wanting to create. And I always used to think that that had to be me being the person doing the creating, right? Like I'm the one that has to write the code or I'm the one that has to build the product or I'm the one. And it took me a long time to realize, you know what, that actually is not the case. I can also be a facilitator of that i learned over the past 20 years of my professional career how to go from having to do or be the doer to how do we build a team and a place people want to be to make really cool things and ultimately the world a better place and ultimately probably my biggest passion how do we build a world where people can spend more time with friends Family and doing things that they find interesting, exciting, and, and stimulating. That's been my journey. And Engineered Innovation Group, I feel like to date, is that the culmination of all of those experiences where I can be that facilitator.
1: And what you're talking about is looking in the direction of teaching people how to be innovative and creative. What do you say to people when they say, Oh, I'm not creative? Right? Sometimes people self label, I'm not very innovative, I'm not very creative how do you teach that to someone?
0: There are different types of intelligence. So, and I think that's why it is important for people to realize is maybe I'm great or good at writing and maybe I'm terrible at mathematics, whatever it is. But I think it's not necessarily about teaching someone. It's more about helping them realize or opening their eyes to what are their talents. My past companies and even this company, one of my goals with with employees is if we see someone struggling or there's something that, they're, you know they're frustrated with or we think they're underperforming, the first thing we need to ask is are they set up for success? Like are, are we are we asking them or tasking them to do the things that are best suited for the talents that they have? And I don't mean just like hard hard talents like can they code in a particular language? but there's they're soft skills, right? So I think it's more about us trying to uncover or an individual uncovering, what is they what are they a genius? In?
1: That reminds me of another entrepreneur who shared with me. Her name is Sherry Grabeau. and she shared that one of her strategies to bring out the best in people and set them up for success at work is to understand what they love to do and gravitate toward in their free time so that she could bring that more into their workplace experience. And she used the example of discovering an employee was a big online gamer. And so she was like, wait a minute, gamification. And there's a certain set of skills and interests within that. How do I build your job more around that interest? We'll get the best from you.
0: Our jobs as leaders is not only to be the one to create or put in place those the things to make that job more tuned attuned to that person, but also empower that person to find it out themselves. Right. And I and I think I think is what you're saying, but that that was an epiphany I had probably even two or three years ago was it's not my job to to say, well, you should do it this way, because it's more in tune with how you work. It's like, no, no, you need to figure that out. I'm here to coach you and help you. And and that's why I love to do but
1: And that's part of the core values of your company. I, you know, I opened with the reference to insatiable curiosity and something that you were purposeful about as you started your business was a set of core values that embodied what you talked about a few moments ago, making it possible for people to be fully present in their lives, with their friends, with their family, while also ideally doing the best work of their lives, share more about the core values and what inspired those as the platform for your business
0: so when i sat down and decided to start eig which i literally sat down and said i'm going to start a company i said but before i do one more thing i'm going to i'm going to study what my own values are my own personal values and this was because i'd worked in a lot of companies with great core values there was always like a hole and i never knew what it was and i never really paid attention to it and i said i want to figure this out for me first because in order for me to be an effective leader, I think I need to be completely authentic. And I know there I knew there are things about me where I wasn't. And I'll give you an example. I used to be afraid to speak up. Why? Why was I afraid to bring up an idea or a thought? You might, well, I don't want to sound stupid, or I don't want people to think that I don't know what I'm doing. When in reality, I think people that ask the questions that are maybe most off the wall or maybe out there or onto something. We're, we're, we're opening and allowing ourselves to think so far outside of the norm, that that's where actually innovation actually happens. Those is where the, those ideas actually are born that that can change the world. And that's where Insatiable Curiosity came from. It was more of a statement of, I wanna be able to be me, I wanna ask questions. I don't, if I'm, if I'm gonna sit and ask a prospect on a call, 20 minutes of questions. It's not because I don't know how to solve your problems because I really want to make sure I've internalized and understand the problem. To be solved.
1: And what you're saying really is great discoveries begin as great questions. And the beginning of innovation is getting more curious and asking more questions. It's interesting because so many founders have a great idea for a business and then think about values later, you know, their own and the values of the company What made you start with that first, as opposed to jumping into how fast can I sell something and get as much cash flow going as I possibly can, which is the temptation.
0: Moments of vulnerability are important. So this is one of those. I was at a point in my own life and career where I wanted more from it. You know, I've always given 100%, I've always given 150%, frankly, to any job. I really just wanted to align my work to my personal life. And at the time, that is when my son was born. So I was a new parent and I was thinking, you know, I've been working 12 hour days, six or seven days a week for the past 15 years. I like my job. I love doing it. It's not, no one's forcing me to do that. I just like to do it. But also it's just, there, there was something nagging at me personally about what, what i really want. I could keep doing this forever, but there are also things I would, I'm, Super interested in like painting and reading and traveling and I want to make sure I'm doing these things, making room for my child, making room for my continue to make room for my spouse. Okay. Maybe it was a, a moment of <laughs> crisis. That's probably not the right word, but I just really had this drive to say think the, think about this first because you're about to go lead a company of people, um, and I want it to be truly I want it to be truly authentic.
1: I hear you and. We've probably all, our listeners included, asked that question at some point in our careers: Is this all there is? Right. right? Is is this what this is? That for the next however many years, I'm going to work a certain number of hours per day to make money for someone else for a certain number of you know days per week? Is that fulfilling? And I think. Yeah you know what you're talking about is looking in the direction of your purpose and also values alignment i mean i think about this so much when people talk about being burned out at their jobs And to me, I really simplify that definition of burnout is living outside of your values for an extended period of time. What you just said really illustrates that, right? If your priority became, I want my work and life to integrate differently and better so that I'm available to spend time with my son, and then you continued on the pattern that you were on with work, it's not possible. You're going to feel burnt out, right? Because it's not in alignment with your values. Say more about what the Engineered Innovation Group does. And I'll put it out there because, you know, not all of our listeners are tech listeners. So the challenge to you is you've got to explain it in a way that my soon-to-be 100-year-old grandfather could understand. So what does the Engineered Innovation Group do? All right.
0: All right. We work with new companies, people that have new ideas, new ways of doing things, define, design, and make those products a reality and bring them to life. That's the highest level of what we do. Now, we do that specifically for software. So software as a service companies, typically VC-backed or those coming out of uh, corporate innovation labs and, and uh, actually a lot more of that as, as of late, which we love. So at the end of the day, I boil it down. I tell people we're a software company without a product. Our customer's product is our product, and we are completely designed to operate with our our customers.
1: (laughs) You just made a reference to venture capital and working with startup businesses that are venture capital funded. Certainly, many of our listeners, whether they're in finance or just reading the headlines about the financial outlook, are concerned about venture capital cash flow. How are you navigating this uncertain outlook and a time where everything we read would lead us to believe that... Either funding is paused or taking longer to win. What's your experience and what advice would you have to either the startup leaders listening or to the aspiring startups on this whole topic of venture capital?
0: Yeah. Well, first, I would say don't be discouraged. There are still investments happening and there's a lot of data that that, that proves that. There's a lot less, yes. But I think what we're witnessing and, you know, I don't have qualitative evidence for this, but... What we're what we're witnessing is a lot of the investors are being more choosy about what they choose to invest in, and so I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think what that means is it's forcing founders or future founders to be way more clear about what problem they're solving, who they're solving it for, why the way they think they solve it will will be valuable and profitable, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. So I think I think that that's part one is finding a process and then a way to make sure that you're you're setting yourself apart from other folks with ideas. And at the end of the day, everything comes down to execution. So if you can prove that you've got the right team and the right idea, you know, investors say they invest like they tend to invest in, in the team, not the idea. That's very true. It's very, very true. And in and, and my job, because we run across so many startups every single day, I can say that is something I observe firsthand. From day one, so we're a year and a half old out. worked with start VC back startups, like you said, that typically are in what we call the pre-seed or seed round of funding. So their first round of funding. And at that stage of funding, they're typically being tasked with, hey, we're going to give you X amount of dollars. And your goal is to prove that this is a viable concept and that someone would actually pay you money to use it. So we have many customers like that. We've helped several, several companies, but we've also really leaned into corporate innovation lab, specifically in digital health. Now, this was more of a company strategic decision for EIG, but that is healthcare isn't going anywhere. Healthcare is a mess. Healthcare needs lots of help and healthcare is right for innovation. I specifically came from a healthcare, health tech background as well. So, that's, that's a strategy that we're, we're, we're employing. So if you are a founder going after a pre-seed or seed round of funding from a, from a venture capital or even an angel investor, be buttoned up, be prepared to answer questions, be expected to really knock your argument out of the ballpark. And I know you can do it. Like it really just, it just, it's all about sitting down and just doing it. If you are someone in a corporation that has an innovation lab, maybe not, maybe don't have an innovation lab, but you have ideas and things you want to test. You actually have luxury a lot of other people don't. It is resources, but be very smart about the industries and and the people you're trying to solve for. Are there problems that are are ongoing and are going to exist You're probably more likely to get the backing to go pursue those right now?
1: Did you know that 68% of workers say a hybrid workplace is their preference? Make hybrid work for everyone with Robin. Robin is the industry-leading flexible workplace platform for connecting people with rooms, desks, and each other. We've helped companies like Peloton, Toyota, and Hulu build better workplace experiences. Plus, we integrate with the tools you already know and love. To learn more about how we make flexible work a reality, visit www.robinpowered.com. You're highlighting the importance of storytelling and While I don't build products. My version of building products is writing books. And I know sometimes I fall in love with something I write. Like I think it's amazing, brilliant, funny, whatever it is. And then it falls apart on the editing room floor because someone else on the receiving end of it, the message doesn't translate. It doesn't come to life. And I think about what happens so often with entrepreneurship and intrapreneurship and innovation, we fall in love with our idea and what we've created. Without thinking about the business case and the storytelling that goes with getting someone else invested in why this is timely, relevant, profitable, you know, and having a really solid definition to what you just pointed out of who is your customer. And especially if you're an innovation lab in a company, how bringing this new innovation to market might shift your customer mix completely. And are you prepared for that?
0: Exactly. And it's probably part of your strategy. Well, what I see a lot of our our customers that have come to us aren't, that aren't software companies. They don't want to be software companies, they're not software companies, but they're, they're maybe a services company in healthcare, let's say like a laboratory. And they're saying, we're able to open a whole new line of revenue by building a a companion product to what we're doing. And by the way, now it's also not only opening up revenue, it's a whole different target audience, like you're saying, it's a totally different audience. And now, We need help figuring out how do we even market and message to those people? How do we capture their attention? How do we get them to be new customers? Because we don't work with those sorts of people. Going back to the VC backed founder, we call them type A companies here. One of the things that we do, whether they ask for it or not, (laughs) just to always do this is what is your story? How are you telling people what you do? Do you have a story? Do you have a, like, not even a use case, but like, what what is the emotional hook? Why does it even care? You know, and if you can't articulate that, no one's going to care. And one, you're going to have our time getting investment. But two, are you really going to be able to get the customers to care and want to use your product or service? Maybe not. And I am continually amazed at how many folks are actually not very good at that. So much so as a service that we provide now. It was like, it's a big gap. Like, people need help with that. Not everyone's a natural storyteller.
1: Right. And speak the language of your customers. That's critically important. Do you, have your go-to-market pitch or your pitch deck framed around how your customer sees the problem or something that helps them develop a sense of urgency using their own language, right? We all want to be able to identify with what's being presented to us and think to ourselves, oh, that's that's a challenge I've been trying to solve. I'm glad someone can help, right? Now, because we talk a lot about the future of work and really what's happening in the future, first of all, for anyone, even if they're non-technical, what are some of the important technology trends to watch or technology to even start getting a little curious about because it might change how we work or how we get our healthcare or how we live?
0: Also one of my favorite questions that I can really geek out on, but I'm not going to go that far. The one is the most obvious right now. Uh, if anyone, if you read the news, you've probably heard generative AI or chat GPT or large language models. And so I'm starting with that one because it is probably the most Prominent right now, but it is does have potential and already is making big impacts in how we work every single day. You know, one of the things that these technologies are doing, and by the way, these are these technologies like large language models, ChatGPT as an example of one of those services, is is allowing us to take vast amount of knowledge on the internet and ask it questions and have it format responses in ways that are very, very human-like. As an example, in the education system, you'll hear lots of professors that are saying, teachers, what are we going to do? How do we know an essay was actually written by a student? Because you can now go to ChatGPT and say, write me an essay as though I were a 12th grade student or a professor in such and such um, domain, and it'll, it'll output an essay. You know, the, the chat GPT, I believe, even passed um, the bar exam as an example. So I think it was the bar. So it's like watch out, student loan companies. Yeah, exactly. Right. And so like there are so many implications here. First, first of all, it's like an education. Like how do we know people are actually becoming educated? <laughs> so we have to completely rethink how we evaluate critical thinking. Next, what happens to jobs? If we have jobs where writing is involved, let's say marketing copy, that's the first use case that I saw be commercialized was, you don't need a marketer to write your copy anymore. You could just come to us and say what you need and we'll generate text, yada, 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 for better or worse. I don't think we're going to see like massive layoffs because of this. I think we're going to see shifts in how it works, just to be very, very clear. But I think that's one to keep an eye on and not just keep an eye on, like investigate it. (laughs) Because <laughs> it, it, it's going
1: to change things. And it starts to look in the direction of thinking through unintended consequences yeah. of what we build. Just because we can build something, does that mean we really should? And something that comes to mind, because you were talking earlier about healthcare technology, and now with this chat GPT and something that can you know, return a response that looks very human, What worries me and probably some of our listeners, too, is context. I mean, imagine I call my doctor's office and list a series of symptoms, and now ChatGPT sends me an email back that I think is my doctor or physician's assistant that seems very personal and provides some information there. I think we all worry about security, and we worry about context, right? These machine learning languages and technologies and artificial intelligence are absent the context. If you had to look into your crystal ball, I mean... How do you see that evolving? I mean, what's the kind of yeah. push and pull? What do we need to find our way there?
0: I, I think the problem of context is being solved, first of all, which is what's more maybe more scary. I don't I don't by the way, I don't find any of this scary. I find it fascinating. I think it's more just like, how do we keep it under control? I think what the the world that I see, the vision that I would paint for folks is imagine you have. 10 different new friends that know thing, different things about you. You have one that knows everything about your health. You have one that knows everything about how you drive. You have one that knows everything about your pets, their history, where they came from, what their breed is, what who their friends are. And those friends aren't people, they're AI agents. And we are going to interact as freely with those as you would you and I on a call right now. I I don't think that's far away. And I, the reason I think that we'll experience it that way is for the exact reason you're you mentioning is context. So, like, it's very easy to think like, oh, I have a chat I'm going to go t- chat the chatbot about everything. Well, that's not how you interact on in a daily basis. You say, I have, I have, I'm trying to figure out how do I bake a baked potato. I literally had a friend ask me that the other day. How do I bake a baked potato? Like, well, you bake it. Um, you know, you're going to ask someone like, how do you, how do you, how do you cook? Well, you're going to go to Someone else for that. Then, if you're going to say, "Well, how do I go, you know, change a tire on my car?" The prime robots do that too, eventually. But, but you know, I digress. So, I, I think that is the way we should start thinking about how we're going to start interacting with the world. What is happening is, what is emerging in front of us is a completely new way that humans interact with technology, and I think that's why people are saying, or are or, or, or saying, you know, this is like the printing press moment is we are going to see a major shift in the way we interact with technology. It's it's not, it's not just a new type of database. It is a new way of interacting.
1: Now I know how to bake a potato. So, I mean, this gotcha. was just particularly insightful. Bake it, insightful. it
0: 350, 30 minutes.
1: When I think about the world of entrepreneurship, we think about, you know, what are we going to celebrate as success? So one year from now, what do you want to be celebrating as the CEO of the Engineered Innovation Group.
0: A year from now, I would love to be celebrating having created uh, and launched our first portfolio company. So, and we actually have several, a couple ideas and one in the works that we we would love to launch, but that would be a huge point of celebration for us. In other words, not only are we helping other people take their ideas and bring them to life, we're also... Now in a position that we are able to bring our other ideas to life as well. Can I add a second one, a bonus one?
1: Please yeah. do.
0: Okay, I. One of the reasons when I started the company and we have, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, like like core values. We're working very hard here at EIG to make work more efficient for ourselves. And what I mean by that is, I would love to see, and I would totally celebrate if we were able to say we have a four-day work week. Do you know why we have a four-day work week? Because we are so more efficient because of technology at what we do that we're able to give that time back to ourselves, our employees, so we can spend it with families and friends and things that stimulate us, make us interested and make the world a better place. Like that, I hope that sounds as authentic as it really is. I genuinely mean that. It's it's not just platitudes. Uh, That would be phenomenal.
1: And you talked about Helping people. And I mean, think about both the four day work week and the technology progress and what that could do to be of service to people. Based on what you have discovered so far in your journey as an entrepreneur, what advice would you offer to other entrepreneurs or to aspiring entrepreneurs?
0: It's actually one of our core values, and that is abundance. Keep an abundance mindset. You know, I've had a handful of employees, actually one of our, our newest, say, you know, Jake, when I joined two weeks ago, I thought abundance was a really interesting and cool core value, but I didn't realize I would literally think about it multiple times a day. Because when we run into a problem, you're like, this is, this is challenging, or maybe it's frustrating, or, you know, our, our, as humans, many of us, not all of us, but many of us, immediate reaction is, scarcity, I've got to fix it, I got to focus, and then we immediately start working from our lizard, lizard brains, and that's the best way to stifle growth. And so, fight that. <laughs> Keep an abundance mindset. Keep a growth mindset. Use that as a mantra. I cannot tell you how valuable that has been to me and how I've actually seen it be valuable in the real world with people on our team as a, as a core value.
1: From austerity to abundance... That's kind of what I heard you say, something we can all take away to get out of that fear-laden state where we think there's only one way to win and only one right answer to a problem or only one path forward, and our job is to discover that one. Something people say that they miss about The Office is those casual water cooler conversations, which is why I always like to close the show with a lightning round. Kind of fast five questions. Imagine you and I bumped into each other at the water cooler. Maybe there was, you know, some treats there as well. And we were just going to have a quick chat. I'm going to ask you a question. Say the first thing that comes to your mind. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. What time of your day do you do your best creative work? 4 a.m.? Woo, early riser. All right. Well, speaking of time, if you had an extra hour every day, you now have 25 hours a day instead of 24. What are you going to do with your extra hour? Sleep. <laughs> Spoken like the every parent of a two and a half year old who's also an entrepreneur. Well said. If you had to eat one meal every day for the rest of your life, what would it be?
0: Oh, tacos.
1: Tacos. Tacos. And you didn't say baked potatoes. So, I mean, that's, no, that's, no. that's a wasted recipe now. <laughs> wasted, yes. The zombie apocalypse is coming. Who are the three people you want on your team?
0: Oh, my gosh. This is going to take more than a lightning round <laughs> on my team. Oh, my gosh. Um, I don't know. That's a that's, that's, abundance 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 who do i need on my team
1: he has too many to choose jake how can listeners learn more about you and your company and stay in touch with you and what you're discovering
0: yeah the best way would be to connect with me or our folks on my team on linkedin my name's jake miller um or hit our hit our website engineeredinnovationgroup.com the longest domain you'll ever type into your browser
1: <laughs> I don't know. I have one that's read successfromanywhere.com. So I think I'm rivaling you. Maybe yeah, rival that on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you to Jake Miller, founder and CEO of the Engineered Innovation Group, for joining us today on Success from Anywhere. Because success is not a destination, success is not a location. Success is available to anyone, anywhere, anytime.